podcast i think that's the title it's been a while it's been a few weeks we miss you guys i know you guys missed us your number one podcast on itunes spotify and all the others but um yeah we're here today i'm here with jason our other co-host hello hello with a special guest a shane hello hello welcome a shane thanks for joining our podcast um Shane, let's get into it. Tell us about yourself, like where you grew up, um, where you went to school, what you studied, all of that, all of that good stuff. Oh boy, lots to unpack. <laughs> well, I I grew up in Southern California. I grew up in grew up in Irvine actually, and mm-hmm. I after going to high school in Irvine, I thought it would be kind of cool to start living a city life. I have seen I've been to New York before. I've been to LA before and San Francisco as well. And I think there are definite differences between between those three cities. And they all have their own unique energy. But I really felt at the time that I needed to be away from from everyone, from everything that I've been been with in, in high school. I felt like I wanted to just experience something brand new. And I went to school in New York. I didn't expect to get in to be honest. I initially applied to a bunch of different schools for a bunch of different things and I kind of wanted to go to school to study music to become a music teacher I think music education really felt like a a calling of mine at the time but when I got into NYU for business to study finance I just couldn't I couldn't justify turning that down and I ended up going and I honestly I don't have any regrets I was still able to play saxophone in New York. I was still able to meet some great people and be engaged in the music and business communities. And it was a really cool experience to, to, to be there without anyone, like without anyone that I've, that I've known from the past. I only had one friend in high school who was in New York with me. And that granted that was nice to have a friend with me out in New York, but it was also cool to meet people from all around the world and, really step into a new a new life kind of I mean and I was still coming back home for breaks and still remaining close to my family and my my parents and my sisters but there was a part of me that really felt like I stepped out of a shell after going to school in New York and I really enjoyed that part about it I chose to study finance because that's what you do when you go to when you go to Stern which is the business school at NYU Mm. they kind of train you to become investment bankers. They train you to become successful as an analyst in the investment banking world. And for those who aren't familiar, investment banking is essentially the front lines for the financial service industry. They handle mergers and acquisitions and other types of financial operations that occur between both large and small companies. And they're working it fairly complex, but the work can also at the analyst level be very simplistic in a lot of cases. And you have to be very willing to adhere to the culture that these banks have, you know, Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan, Morgan Stanley, or just some of the big investment banks in New York that have reputations for their culture, for being very strict and very performance focused, you know, good performers get rewarded bad performers typically don't stay too long. And that's how those banks are able to stay successful and keep their shareholders happy. Well, after meeting 
plenty of investment bankers and talking to some analysts, some VPs, and even a couple managing directors, it became very clear to me that kind of industry and that kind of work culture isn't really one that, that suits me. So I, I did an internship at an insurance company between my junior and senior year, and that really wasn't for me either. I ended up coming back to California after graduating three and a half years of, of school and worked at, at Walt Disney Imagineering for eight months, which was just an unbelievable experience. And I left about eight months in because I wanted to dive back into the financial service industry and really hone my skills in in finance and become a strong, boost my technical skills, become a stronger analyst. I've been at a mutual fund for about a year, just over a year. And I can say that I do miss building theme parks. I do miss the energy of the city, <laughs> but I... I'm very pleased to be building my skill set and becoming a, a stronger business leader, at least building the roots to becoming a stronger business leader, mm. whatever that might mean. <laughs> yeah, I remember you came by like the first time that you started working at Disney. And that's how we kind of got to know a little bit of what you did because you connected with some of our uh, members who also was working at Disney as well. Um, you know, like the I'm pretty sure there's there's definitely like like you mentioned the culture change within studying the different um, you know like getting into the business community and the music community in NYU. How was it the culture change of just like in general, like the transition between like West Coast to East Coast for you? It's I don't I can't really tell if it's the difference between the uh -huh. East Coast West Coast or if it's the suburban to the urban life. Okay. Yeah. Mm. But I, I will say that there are just, there's just so much more to, to do. Like in New York, yeah. in New York absolutely. Like what, if whenever I was, if I wanted cookies at two o'clock in the morning, <laughs> I wouldn't have to wait for Trader Joe's to open. I could just you know go get cookies. There were cookie shops that were open until two, 3 a.m. If I wanted, if I wanted some, you know, some halal food, some rice, meat and lettuce, and they call that salad, but I could go and find that no problem. <laughs> There was there are so many opportunities for food, for entertainment, and just to feel like you're, I guess, involved in a community. There are so many different communities out there too. Maybe that was the college element speaking to. I don't know. There were so many changes in my life that I find it difficult oftentimes to attribute the specific changes to specific elements. If you know what I mean. Right, right. Because <laughs> you were at like that prime age as well, where you know you're you're growing up independent and like ev everything's just all new then you know that that's that time frame yeah it, it really was and at that point in time too it was also i was also becoming more i guess exploratory spiritually i i grew up not really not really religious and then a friend of mine introduced me to to christianity about four or five years ago and during that time when he started to talk to me about it i started to become a little more open to the idea of of you know, believing and going to church and in new york that's where i really started to i guess become a become more spiritual and become a believer in, in god and i think that's another element of my life that i that i grew in new york but i also didn't have like a, a close community out there like i went to a church and I had a few friends who I spoke to, but it wasn't really something that 
was a huge part of my life at the time after I, after I started to believe, you know what I mean? Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But that was certainly another player. So what, I guess what drew you into Christianity and what was that process like? Cause we, most of the people I deal with, not deal with, <laughs> interact <laughs> with, um, they were born into the church. And so it, it's as sad as it sounds rare for me to talk to someone who essentially chose Christianity, if you get what I'm saying. So yeah. what, what was that process like? I'm very curious. That's a good question. I don't think you and I have talked about this before, Jason. No, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, my friend who was who talked to me about it was also a, a new believer. He, he grew up uh, practicing a different religion. And I asked him the same question. And he, we started talking about, like, the conversation started by me talking about my doubts. Like, mm -hmm. what do I find wrong with, with Christianity as somebody who doesn't believe? Like, what did I, what were some of the things I saw that, didn't make sense to me and so we talked about that a little bit because i had expressed interest in in why he was a believer and we, we talked about <coughs> particularly some of the things around like i guess reality like for example the, the basic question if god exists why can't i see him why can't i talk mm -hmm, to him? Mm -hmm. right the, the basic questions like that and then it got into more more detailed things like if or more, I guess, difficult questions, in my perspective, more difficult at least. Like, if God is real, why do bad things happen? Mm -hmm. Why do people get sick? Why do why do natural, natural disasters occur, like, to good people? And then we got into the, the history a little bit and started talking about, you know, the life that Jesus lived and then the resurrection. And there were a lot of things that we, that we talked about that were, you know, I, I don't think I really got a, a super clear answer on them because... When you're asking such big questions as a new believer, no answer can mm -hmm. really satisfy satisfy you, right? Like at least they couldn't for me. Anything he could have said, I'd be like, okay, I take that with a grain of salt. But then after chewing on it, after thinking about it more, and after, I think the big thing was expressing gratitude more regularly, whether it be through a gratitude mm -hmm. journal or through just being more vocal about things that I'm thankful for. That's when I really started to realize what he's on about and what he was kind of getting to and what he was thinking about and honestly it can be day to day right now i'll still have a some days i'll have a very clear picture of, of who god is and and what he's what role he plays in my life and some days it's a little bit more murky but i think at the end of the day it's it becomes clearer for me once i start talking about the once i start visualizing and being more open with with things that i'm thankful for so i think i went off track what was the original question <laughs> No, I mean, I think you kind of explained it. Just kind of, how, what was the experience like of mm. becoming a Christian? Um, oh, yeah. There was one more thing I wanted to mention. And it's like, it was like a tipping point for me. Mm. And he mentioned that, like, if you say there is a after, I mean, I view it like a two by two matrix kind of thing. Say there is a better life waiting for us after after we pass. And say you are a believer. Then, hey, you win. Like you, you, you lived, you lived your life uh, according to what God asked of you, and you, you, you pass away, and now you move on to the better life He has, He promised us. But say there is a, a real, uh, there, there is a real afterlife, and there is something better for us, and like you don't believe. Well, then you miss out on that. You, you don't get to experience that. But say there isn't a real, you know, there isn't something better for us. Say, say this is all wrong, and, and we. Everyone who's a Christian has it completely incorrect. 
and you are a Christian, well, you miss out on nothing. But if there isn't anything, if there isn't a light at the end of the tunnel, if there isn't something waiting for us and you aren't a Christian, you still get nothing. Mm-hmm. And he, when he said it from that perspective, I don't know. I kind of just thought like, well, I really don't have anything to lose by by trying this out. Mm-hmm. And it, there was a test period where I would you know, go to church and I would mm-hmm. just kind of in my mind scrutinize what the what the pastor was saying and think, okay, do I, is this really right? Is this really like something I, I want to believe? And the first time I went, I was kind of, I came with this mindset of, I'm ready to just tear this guy a new one in my in my <laughs> head, like just, just go out. And if he says something that's like super wrong, I'm going to, you know, I'm not going to be like, uh, I'm not going to be scared into thinking that what he's saying is true. I want to hold true to what I believe. But all he talked about was good things. All, everything talked about there for the first, like, ever since I've been to church, all I've heard is good things about love, about caring for others, about being a good person about how we can serve each other and serve God and help make the world a better place, whether that be implicitly or explicitly. And that all resonated with me a lot and it still does. And it kind of became a more gradual thing. My faith became gradually stronger and stronger. It felt like each time I went, I was slowly building a house out of bricks. And at the end of the day, you know, I all of a sudden had a big house around me and it wasn't something that happened. Like my, my faith, Certainly, there was a turning point, but my friend told me what he told me. But in since then, it really has been a very gradual, gradual, I guess, becoming. The thing you mentioned that kind of clicked in my mind is uh, the skepticism, I guess, for lack of a better word. Yeah. And I think that's missing for a lot of people who are born Christian because you don't have an opportunity to kind of I don't know if say be skeptical is the right word, but there there needs to be an, a level and a time of, I'm going to use the phrase critical thinking. Yeah. Um, and I, I talk about it all the time. I'm trying to talk to like high school, college students is like, you, you have to, you have to question why you believe what you believe and not question in like a negative way, but question in it's like literal definition. Like, why do you believe what you believe? Yeah. Um, and that process is what I believe solidifies faith is going to the question. And that should be what the church is for is to help people question things and kind of formulate an answer. Like you put it, like build a house. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of what I, a lot of pastors we think about because, you know, even talking to you, you're very, um, in the beginning, it was kind of not logical, but, you know, it's kind of information based. But, you know, faith is, we, we try to share faith almost like uh, with information. But even for the most information analytic driven people, it ultimately boils down to like a emotional, spiritual response too. Um which I think is kind of what I got from what you were saying is as much as you were kind of weighing the information and the and the pros and cons, it was also a part of, you know, feeling it and um, growing and things like that. Yeah. Like testing it out. It was sure. as a part of it. And I, I don't know, I think one of the things that my friends and I bonded over after becoming, after I had, I guess, turned that new page in my life mm-hmm. was the fact that our perspective is, 
honestly just a little bit different than people who are born into the church. I'm not saying it's good yes. or bad. There are both positive mm-hmm. and negatives to that. Mm-hmm. Because A, we haven't had 20 plus years of experience. <laughs> and, and B, they haven't had the, they haven't turned, or people who have believed their whole lives haven't turned a, a new page like mm-hmm. we have. But I'm not saying one is better. It's just that they've been different. And I think that's something there's something to be said for both right sure sure like there's it's not easy to believe the same thing your entire life like i I can't imagine being being born into a certain mindset and and living that through my entire life especially with something as big as you know spirituality Mm -hmm. not being able to see anything or or actually like nothing tangible to prove prove its existence must make it really tough at a young age to wrap your head around it Mm-hmm. and honestly and i say that because at a still at a young age like what 19 or 20 i had a tough time wrapping my head around it sometimes i still do sure but yeah i think there's something to be said for right. for both people of both like, who go through both types of experiences or each experience mm-hmm. did you um i i don't know if you mentioned it but did you grow up in any specific religion or were you kind of grew up you know, your family was, uh, you, you know, like, what was your background, religious background, or if you had any, or was it more agnostic? Yeah, there wasn't, anything? there was no religious okay. background in my home. Okay. Like, we, I asked my parents when I was little, and I remember them saying that, oh, you're Hindu, but we didn't do anything Hindu, and we celebrated Christmas, we celebrated Easter, ah, but we didn't really, we did it for, like, the, for the celebration, right? We had Easter dinner, Shot we had a Christmas tree, Santa came, that kind of thing. Yeah. So yeah, there yeah. was, there was no real spirituality in our, in our household, and I think, Part of that is my parents wanted us to be like learn on our own and, and go through a certain yeah. go through the journey ourselves rather than be force us to believe a certain way because I don't think they are very spiritual either. Mm. Maybe, maybe they are spiritual. They're not very religious. I'll say that. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it they seem from the sounds of it they were open to you becoming christian and exploring faith i honestly haven't talked to them about it much like okay. it, it comes up every now and again uh-huh. but they i i think they're it's just a part of my life that they recognize but mm-hmm. don't like don't scrutinize don't ask too many questions about nice. don't don't uh it does, it's not a big topic because no one else in my family is religious and so mm-hmm, it's, mm-hmm. it just doesn't come up. There are other things that my family would rather talk about at dinner. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, yeah. 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 And that doesn't, that doesn't really bother me because I, I, at the end of the day, like I still want to continue to be a good person and continue to help show my family that I'm, that they can be, and I can be, and we can all be good people, you know, regardless of, of what we believe. But at the end of the day, it's about, like I, I want to, I want to maintain the the happy family life that we have, and still, I don't know what I'm trying to say here. I just want to, I just, yeah, I don't really know what the point I want to make is here, but I guess <laughs> <laughs> it is nice to, it is nice that they're not like restrictive because mm-hmm, right. I mean, I my my friend, what his parents were restrictive, and he did have, he did have a tough time talking about it with his parents and. It was difficult, but for me, it was quite the exact opposite. They were, like, I guess they were supportive, but I also didn't feel like there was any active support. It was more like, it was very passive support. Yeah. 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 I kind of want to backtrack a little bit. Yeah. Um, so, Shane, you lived in New York, and then Jeremy, you also lived in New York. Uh, you did a rotation there, right? Yeah, very, very brief. Okay, so yeah. I just wanted, 
like what was your experience in New York like, Jeremy? And then kind of see if obviously it's not the same because you're different yeah. phases in life and yeah. stuff. But um, <laughs> I mean, I it was the summer there, but I mean, I did visit often like during the winter, so I got a taste of winter mm-hmm. like for a couple weeks. But um, this was back in 2010. 2011 like around that time where like when i first experienced the uh polar vortex out there so mm-hmm. yeah so I, I experienced like the worst of new york and then like the other worst, like the, the <laughs> super humid uh-huh. um and new york was very like i guess I, as a physical therapist you had to like you had to dress real nice like dress shoes everything like button up shirts out on the west coast is like polos khakis sneakers mm-hmm. and so you're doing that in the summer like walking in the subway and like that's how you get your lunch and stuff but um i loved it though i love new york like it was it's like a mini it's like an adult disneyland like it, it's like its <laughs> own little like you know because we were staying out in new jersey and i would have to take the bus every morning to to work and then you take the subway oh. where yeah. in jersey did you stay uh dang i forgot like southeast of new york like yeah i don't remember i I forgot what this town's called yeah but anyways yeah it was it was uh it it took about like 45 minutes to get to the main station and then went to midtown 53rd and lexington i believe clinic up there and yeah, my clinical advisor was, she was just grilling me. Like, I was like, man, New York sucks. <laughs> like, my first week there, I was like, dang, everyone's mean. But after a while, you know, it was, you get used to it. Um, yeah, it, it was, it was nice. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's a little bit different, you know, being a student there. It's probably amazing to be at NYU, you know, like, oh, just yeah. having, just having everything there. And, you know, the students that come through, like. You, you get to meet a lot of great people so yeah i will say that's one of the things i <clears throat> that was a tipping point for me when i graduated is like i noticed how great being a student there was and in that one summer i was interning i mean granted, i lived in jersey city which is a, a two stops on the path away from away mm. from the the city so it wasn't like a long train ride or anything i spent most evenings in the city but like just being on the subway in like long sleeve dress shirt and khaki and uh, actual dress pants and dress shoes my goodness jason it is the worst jeremy you know exactly what i'm talking about it is horrible (laughs) and having to do that every single day and having to be like crammed into the subway with like sardines with everyone else it's just like that was enough for me to look at living in new york and being like okay maybe not especially when you look at meal prices and housing prices on top of that i think it's great as a student and it's great for vacation but i don't know if i could i i'm jury still out if i could live there um all right so we're gonna take a quick break um we don't have a sponsor this week uh technically we've never had a sponsor Um, (laughs) it's just (laughs) we just plug our stuff (laughs) um but we did want to take this time to kind of talk about the future of this podcast. Uh, as some or many or I don't, none of you may know, uh, this weekend is my last Sabbath at LA Central Church. Um, and so, you know, this podcast 
is and started as a Living Water Fellowship ministry, uh, hence the name. Hello from LWF. Um, and so we are weighing different options to see how we're going to proceed. Um, Jeremy and I will be in communication um, to see if we might need to rebrand or, you know, what the future is. And so we're not saying that it's going to stop. We're not saying it's going to continue. Uh, we're going to kind of explore all the options. And as soon as we get more information, uh, we will share with you, the listener, to your number one podcast. Um, so stay tuned. Uh, we'll have information hopefully soon as to the mm-hmm. future of this podcast. And that will also determine future sponsors. <laughs> yeah. So if you like to, I mean, if you guys had sponsored us earlier, I mean, we wouldn't have right? problems. So <laughs> uh, this is all on you guys. Uh, yes. Yes. Demand or yeah, demand. Demand the money. Determine supply. <laughs> the deter- yeah. There you go. Right. Yeah. Um, since we have a Shane on, we can, Speaking in business terms, <laughs> demand drives supply. So if you all demand the podcast, we will supply the podcast. I'm pretty sure that's how it works. <laughs> I'm being sarcastic. <laughs> um, all right, so we're going to shift gears. Uh, Shane, you are going to write a book. Please tell us first what kind of book it is, and then second, how it all kind of came together. Yeah, that's that's an interesting part of part of my life right now. I was gonna say interesting chapter, but wanted to spare you all the that <laughs> Yeah, I started I started writing the book about I started the process of writing the book about three months ago, four maybe four months ago now. I was chatting with a friend who is a was a recent graduate of NYU. She's a close friend of mine, I think about a year younger than me. And we were chatting about about the I, about the idea of graduating from college and stepping into a new life, really. I mean, the difference in in autonomy in an agency from leaving from college into the into the post college life is really dramatic. You lose the structure of school, of classes, of organizations, of really friend groups in some cases, and you're stepping into you know sometimes a new city but definitely a new community of people who you interact with on a day-to-day basis, you know, and that change for a lot of people is, you know, is only the only scratches the surface because on top of that, some people have become financially independent after college. Some people have to start looking for jobs. Some people are thinking about changing careers or wanting to ease into their, ease into their, you know, adulthood, if you will. And, it's so different for everyone and there's no guidebook, right? Up until college, we're told exactly, here's what you have to do. You have Mm -hmm. to go to elementary school, go to middle school, go to high school, take the SATs, apply to college, maybe go to community college for two years, maybe go to a four year, do well in school. In fact, you're given a specific guidebook, which is the syllabus on how to do well in classes. And you're given a score on how well you do, which is your GPA. <laughs> those are given to you. They're handed to you. And you know exactly how to grade yourself. Mm. But then when you graduate, all of that is gone, right? No one's right. telling you exactly what has to be next. No one's giving you a grade on how you're doing. You know, some jobs are performance grades, but we all well, know that's not the same. And there's no parents or society telling you this is exactly what you should do. And so we're on our own in terms of making that decision. And I've had to make a few of those decisions in my life, one in college and one after college that 
really opened up to me what I care about and what's important to me and what I value. And, you know, for, I guess for transparency, one of the things that I went through the first one was deciding to leave the insurance company I worked for that I interned for that one summer and quit my, my so-called dream of becoming an actuary and to try something new. And I had to make a second decision about a year ago when I left Disney, when the decision was to either stay at Disney and see if something, a full-time role opens up or take a full-time offer in a different industry that might have that might have greater greater career growth potential and you know even to this day i can't say whether that decision was right or wrong granted it's only been a year but i can't say with any level of certainty if that was the good decision or a bad decision but i know for a fact that i'm living with that decision now no i can't blame anyone else for for what i what i chose to do right it's all on me and essentially the the big challenge with that is like i i don't know if i'm doing well or not i don't know and that's because there's no guidebook that's because no one has laid it out for us and so the purpose of this book the reason why i chose to write it is because i want to normalize that i want to let people know let recent graduates current college students know that this is something that is common it's something that everyone goes through right not all of us in fact most of us won't be bill gates won't be mark zuckerberg we are going to have to write our own path and we probably won't end in, you know, us becoming billionaires and CEOs of major tech companies. It probably won't be like that for most of us. And I want, so what I want to do is essentially find out why we make the decisions we want to make. I want to help us understand, help, well, help me understand and help the readers understand what is driving or what's constructing, I guess, our internal framework for decision-making, you know, too often do books, articles, and you know, dialogue and does dialogue focus on on what we choose to do with our career and why we choose and how we choose to do it, right? It all oftentimes they say, I want to become a software engineer and I'm gonna study for this and apply to here and go to this school and do this boot camp to get there. And that's fantastic. That is if you want to do tech, if you want to be a software engineer, that's the way to do it. But Rarely do we ever take a step back and ask, why do we want to become a software engineer, right? Why do we want to work in finance? Why do we want to work in tech? Why do we, why do we want to work in, in any of the number of careers that are out there? And, you know, some people have a more clear answer than others. And I want to show people what some of the reasons that people, interesting people that I've met, have for making their decisions. It's... I ask people to talk about the big decisions they've made in their life, whether it be school or career or something beyond that. And I've asked, I've asked them if they've, or what they've, what they've learned along the way, what they would, what they would do if they were to go back. And I want to share with the readers that it's okay to not know that it's okay to, that you're probably not going to know. And, and that's totally fine. It's normal, but maybe through the process, if you start thinking about what's important to you, and if you start making decisions based on what's truly important to you, instead of what you think is important to you, you might end up being a little bit happier. And I say that because I've seen people who go into jobs that are in a college they don't like. A lot of people I talk to started out at a job or doing a, or working somewhere that doesn't bring them happiness. It doesn't make them feel fulfilled. It doesn't bring them what they're looking for. And only then do they realize, okay, I need to start figuring out what I'm looking for. My hope <laughs> is that after reading the book, you can 
start thinking more deeply about what you find important to you. And then from there, make decisions based on that. You know, that kind of got me thinking. Um, and it's because we had this discussion uh, in our Friday night small group last week. But that uncertainty, that, you know, lack of a, a syllabus or kind of pre-planned uh, guide, that, at least within the Korean-American, I'll go even more specific and say the Korean American Adventist community, that is what they tried to avoid is the lack of clarity and a path. Um, and so, you know, I don't know, it's just very interesting because, you know, for a lot of Korean Americans, uh, Adventists too, um, you know, we're kind of either forced, pushed, nudged, or uh, encouraged to enter into the health field. Um, because for the most part, it's kind of, you follow a track, right? After college, you go to med school and med school, you're in there for like 50 years and then hmm. you go to a hospital and then you're, you know, it's like kind of, it's almost like a, like a assembly line. Um, yeah. and the type of jobs where our parents really <laughs> don't want us to go are the jobs that are very uncertain, that, that kind of there's no guidebook. There's a million different ways you can go about it. And, you know, the reason there's a billion reasons and a lot of it kind of points back to um, immigration and, and our parents' generation kind of coming out from post-war Korea, all, all of that stuff that we can get into some other time. But it's just really interesting because you're addressing the things that as Korean American immigrants, we are, very afraid of is the uncertainty of <laughs> of a career and a life it's very interesting um what is one thing from your book that kind of stuck out to you that's a good question i have talked to 37 people so far and that number is still going to increase i've already interviewed jason and jeremy knows he's coming up soon yeah <laughs> but i'm ready <laughs> I've heard 37 different stories and 37 different reasons behind decision-making 37 plus, you know, most, most, most people have multiple decisions on their plate. The thing that stuck out to me most is the diversity of thought. Everyone is seeing their career and their life in such a different perspective have different circumstances and want different things. And it's a real challenge, honestly, at times to categorize or place a label on someone's story because their story is so interesting and it's so compelling and it's it works it's best and most compelling in a vacuum you know when there isn't any context around it you're just hearing the story for what it is so the most interesting thing is i think for me is also the most hardest is also the hardest thing which is drawing connections and, and identifying patterns between stories i'll tell you after 10 15 interviews I honestly was thinking like maybe this project is a dead end because there are no <laughs> patterns. Everyone is just living different lives and that's just what it is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But after thinking about it really, really hard and taking a step back from writing, taking a step back from, from researching and interviewing, it started to make more sense. Like there are patterns and it's, it requires to, it requires me to think about it in a much different way but I'm learning so much about myself through this process too. I'm learning about what I care about. Yeah. I haven't really asked myself that too much prior to this book, but after asking others, 
And I can't help but ask myself the same thing. Why do I choose to do what I want to do? And I'm sitting here, I've been at Capital Group for, uh, I've been at my current fund. I'm not going to, I don't want to say my name, my company on here, but I've been at my (laughs) company for, you know, over a year now. And I don't know why I'm here. Like I have to remind myself, this is why I'm here to, to learn and to grow. And it's hard to do that when you're in the middle of doing it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that's part, that part makes it really challenging sometimes, but I'm definitely learning a ton about myself and learning a ton about others. And it's, it's helping me make more sense of, of my own journey, which I, I think is the most interesting part so far. Yeah. I mean, Uh... it's like, you know, you're, you're studying human behavior, you know, and your sample pool, you know, is still small. So there's like this, that's why you're saying like, there's this variability and I'm I'm pretty sure if you did like a thousand, you start putting people in boxes a little bit once you start like seeing, ah, okay, this is what it is. But yeah, I mean, it's like, it's that existential question, you know, every day when you wake up, when you don't feel that great, you're just like, why am I doing this? You know? And then it's a battle because it starts to become mental and, um, but then you got to look, you got to, like you said, remind yourself, like, that's a good thing. Like, um, that I've been trying to do that. I've been trying to be like, you know, cause like, like you said, we, we go on this pyramid or like this, this, um, this path that in school where you're just like, it's on to the next, it's on to the next degree. It's on to the next school. And then once you're at work, you're just like, okay, what's next you know it's like yeah. it's my it's my eight to five so yeah i mean i, I definitely uh felt that and i i will be looking forward to reading your book so i can't wait well once i'm on there of course you know <laughs> yeah after i get more information about the publishing schedule you know i'll be happy to share that with both of you and and maybe you can Maybe we can get a second plug if, if you if you wouldn't mind. But yeah, I, I definitely am excited to, to move forward. It's honestly a lot right now. I'm also in grad school, so writing, yeah. time, making time to write is definitely a challenge. But when honestly, when I hit a writing like stride and mm-hmm. I feel like it's it's coming along, the ideas start to flow. And yeah, by ideas, I mean there's very little original content, right? I'm just repeating stories and and tying them together, identifying patterns. But once that I'm in that mindset and I can start drawing patterns and, and drawing conclusions, I feel like I'm learning a whole bunch and putting onto papers. Oh, good for me. I, I can't wait to see if there's an impact on the readers when they take in what I'm writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's an awesome project. Uh, it's a great, great topic. Um, and as we, you know, you, your publisher has like, a deadline for you you got stuff you got to turn in so once we get closer to like a release date for sure we'll be sharing it with um our peoples this is not like a shane like (laughs) writing on a word document and sending it to people this is like a legitimate book it's like a book book like yeah my publisher my publisher (laughs) wants to see a manuscript in about four weeks right i'm almost i'm about 25 percent of the way done so i'm gonna have to start hitting i'm gonna probably start slowing down interviewing soon and start writing more uh-huh, to start right. to get that manuscript in on time but absolutely this is it started out for the first few months really it felt like it was just a word document but it's becoming a little bit more real it's been really exciting to think about it that way mm-hmm. yeah so keep an eye out for that we'll announce it when there's a there's a firm uh, release date um 
but yeah that, that's that's awesome all right um shane we also uh know that you are a big sports fan would you mind us uh asking you your favorite sports team yeah i mean i'm a lakers fan i'm a chargers fan and i'm an angels fan i also like watching soccer and i I follow tottenham i also watch formula one i follow lewis hamilton i didn't know that um have you watched the the netflix docu um the okay (laughs) yes is that how you got in or were you were you no, watching it? I've been a fan of Lewis Hamilton since he was like a since kid. He just started. Yeah. I, oh, wow. I remember watching I've been watching F one since about two thousand four, two thousand five with my dad. And when Lewis Hamilton you know, started, I think it was at the US Grand Prix in 07, my dad and I just looked at each other and said, This guy this yeah. guy is special. And I didn't yeah. know he'd be, you know, where he is now. I don't think anyone yeah. could have predicted that. But For he sure. is so fun to watch. And Honestly, maybe it's a little cheesy to say, but it's really cool to see a person of color just dominate out there. Yeah. Like, I mean, that, that sport is so historically dominated by white people that it's really cool to see Lewis <laughs> Hamilton be exactly. you know, one of the greatest of all time and really only, the only black driver to, to race. Yeah, yeah. And he's such, like, you know, uh, you know, a class A person, you know, just very, like, you know, soft-spoken, like, he just knows how, he carries himself pretty well, you know, as an athlete, you know, that's won so many, you know, uh, Grand Prix and stuff, so it's just, Mm -hmm. like, it's amazing, um, yeah, and, and the Spurs, have you, um, watched the Amazon, um, the Amazon Prime docuseries on their season last year? I haven't, it's been on my list, I haven't been watching much of anything lately, but that has been on my list to watch. You should. I think you enjoy it. It's it's really good. It's it's definitely you know because Mourinho's there, so it's like it's that whole transition. Uh, yeah, of the coaching. So yeah, that's that's awesome. I did watch Hard Knocks though. I did Hard Knocks. Oh, Hard Knocks. Games, <laughs> yeah. I did watch that. Yeah. <laughs> did they do a Chargers one of that one? Or yeah, it was the Chargers and the Rams. Rams. This year. Okay, that's right. That's right. That's also on Prime, right? That is on HBO Max. HBO Max. Okay. Yeah. I see it's a weird question to ask people who follow sports like pick your your teams but uh yeah no, that's you... a, I've, clear, I've clear stories for all of them <laughs> okay uh so for lewis hamilton was was what i just mentioned for baseball it was going to my first angels game back in 2005 i saw vladimir guerrero was on the angels back then and he was mm. just exciting to watch you know his just the way he carried himself, the way he talked, the way he played. It was just so electric. Uh, the Lakers, I grew up watching Kobe Bryant, like everyone else in Southern California did. And he won my heart with his just his passion for the game was just mm. unreal. It was, it was so, so great. So I, I definitely, uh, Kobe Bryant was my, was my best, I guess, how I got into basketball and how I got into the Lakers. And then for football, my uncle used to own a sports memorabilia store and I was in his in a store one day this is back in 2005 2006 and he pointed up to to the top rack of the jerseys where all the big football players were there was Manning there was Brady all the big names at the time and he said Shane you can pick whichever one you want just let me know which one and it's yours and I'm like oh my goodness opportunity of a lifetime so I said I don't know what do you think 
And so he, there's a little TV that was playing a, playing this couple of sports, you know, couple of sports games. And on that TV, there was on that particular time the Chargers were playing. And he points to the TV and says, "See that guy right there?" And I was like, "Number 21." He says, "Yeah." <laughs> and he's like, "Yeah, that's Ladanian Tomlinson. He's going to score mm. a touchdown right now." I'm thinking to myself, "How on earth do you know that? <laughs> like, there's no way." And then lo and behold, Rivers hands it off to, or maybe it was Breeze, hands it off to Tomlinson. He runs it in. I think that was the year he broke the record for the most touchdowns. Uh, okay. so I guess that was 2006. So that was Rivers handing it off. And that, I was shook. I was like, okay, yeah, <laughs> this is it. This is the team I need to support. And so ever since then, I've been a Chargers fan. And that, unfortunately, was the best year of, of Chargers football. <laughs> it's been downhill since. Uh, okay. Um, I mean, they're looking pretty good sunday they i i thought for sure they were gonna win <laughs> yeah i mean the chiefs i i didn't i knew we were gonna lose even if we were up when we were up i knew uh-huh. something was gonna happen i was not it was kind of as a Chargers fan for this long you just know sure. that Patrick Mahomes is gonna do his thing but i gotta be honest i am super super excited by what i saw like that was that was mm. exciting both sides of the ball were playing really well and you know a couple of bonehead moves both both by Justin Herbert and by the coach, that's uh, that. Any any number of those could have cost us the game, depending on how you look at it. There were a number of things, mm-hmm. but it was so exciting to see, or very refreshing to see, see our team do well and show potential. You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that Justin Herbert. He he got like what ten minutes notice to play. Um, oh, no, less. Is it less? less than that. Yeah, he was told he- after the coin toss. Oh, it was after like Jeremy. I don't know if you read, but um, Tyrod Taylor is their starting quarterback, and like before the game, they said he had like chest pain, and <laughs> it turns out I guess he cracked his rib uh, week one, and so they're gonna give him a painkiller injection. Yeah, and the doctor punctured his lung with the with the syringe, and he had to go to the hospital. <laughs> And that's how Justin Herbert started, and he looked pretty good. He he did make one pretty bad play, the the pick, but yeah, I, mean, I, I feel horrible laughing at the whole situation. Yes, I, I yes, I do. I'm sorry, I should not laugh, but <laughs> I mean, I feel I mean, honestly, it's a it is a pretty comical situation when you look at your own team doctor. Like it's it's just so sad. You can't help but feel bad for the guy. He it's Tyron Taylor's locker room, right? They love him. They love the guy. Sure, and just to see that. He's a, a victim of circumstance like this. Is, <laughs> oh, it's oh, heartbreaking. Man. That's, um, yeah. that's uh, Washington uh, <laughs> uh, medical staff for you. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, that's, yeah, maybe yeah. he came from Washington. Yeah. <laughs> our, our staff was terrible. Um, all right. And then you guys are, are you both of you following the uh, NBA finals a little bit? Yeah, or the the conference finals. Yeah, I think the Lakers are playing right now. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Well, I guess Shane, you're following because Lakers are playing. Um, Jeremy, are you following? Because I was following early on during uh, the restart. Um, uh-huh. It's just like every ever since the NBA started, like all the other sports started happening. Yeah. <laughs> so like I'm just like picking and choosing. Like right now, I I I'll probably start watching again when the finals happen, or like mm-hmm. if there's like a 
if like the Nuggets are about to like yeah <laughs> really give Lakers the problems, like okay, I need to tune in to Game Five to Game Six. Um, well, actually, yeah, Game Five is on Saturday, so yeah, that's gonna be a a big one. Um, yeah, I mean, I've been watching mostly soccer right now, but who knows? Next week, I'll probably be mm. watching back again basketball. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, what the Heat are doing, so that's that's oh my gosh, yeah. They're like up three, right? Or three one, right? Three one, yeah. yeah. That's I never did not see that coming. Uh Shane, are you worried about the Nuggets? Uh, a little bit. I mean Anthony <laughs> Davis doesn't sink that three. Right, oh, right. Man. Story, right. It's two to one nuggets. And sure. uh, I, I don't know. I mean, right now the score looks like it's thirty seven to thirty. Mm-hmm. I, I know nothing about this. All, all I'm seeing is the score. Mm-hmm. I don't know how, how those numbers came, but it's I'm a little off. You can't not be worried. Jamal sure. Murray is a beast, and Jokic yeah. just is a yeah, he's one of the best centers in the game. Mm-hmm. Seriously. You can make an argument he's the best in the game, to be honest, at the, at the five position. Like, he is mm-hmm. unbelievable. Do you trust? Yeah. Do you trust Frank? I trust LeBron James. If he willed that Cavs team in 2018 to the finals, you know he can he can do anything. Like that guy is next level. I feel like yeah. honestly he's been coasting for a lot of these playoffs playoff games so far. He knows that his team has done what it done what they need. He hasn't been you know taking over games like he's like we know he's capable of. So. I don't know. I trust LeBron James that if if the Lakers are pushed up against the wall, they'll they'll make it happen because LeBron James has not given me a reason to believe otherwise. Yeah, I mean his teammates got to step up too. Like that's true. That's the thing. So LeBron LeBron's good. He just I don't know. He doesn't have that Kobe, you know, but he has that he has that pa- he has that he he knows the game real well. So. His team's just got to make that sh- make those shots when he passes it to them, you know? That's Yeah, it, I mean, LeBron can do what he can to get his teammates open and make make plays happen, but at yeah. the end of the day, it means nothing unless they can sink the basket. Do you think LeBron will ever have, like, a coach that's, like, respectable, you know? Like, like... I mean, like he did uh, in Miami, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's probably, like, the only time. But, you know, even that, like, looking back and kind of seeing Spolstra now, it's like, oh, that was a one coach. But back then, Spolstra was Frank Vogel. Like, he's That's just true. He was a guy that LeBron could tell what to do. And it's only after he left that we realized, oh, Spolstra is actually a, mm. a good coach. <laughs> I don't think. Well, do you think he'll yeah. ever have, like, a high-profile coach coach him? Like, let's say, like coach k or pop you know ever because all the time it's always been lebron has that higher profile higher like he has that power every when when he comes in but i mean it's a a hypothetical question that's a good question honestly i don't i don't think so and i'll say that because like i think he'll work best with a coach that he can collaborate with not respond to i don't think Coach K or Pop are looking for player input on how they should run the team, right? Mm-hmm. Like they've they've been around for so long and have won enough championships to know that what they're doing works. But like someone like Vogel, he's probably getting input from LeBron. He's probably letting LeBron 
you know, take over during times. I, I don't know. I, I have zero insight into this. I'm speaking. These are all baseless claims. But that's just what I'm. That's what I think, right? Like I know, I know he was a lot like that in Cleveland. From yeah, yeah. Right, like he, that was LeBron's team. Lou was just there to. They're just they're just getting free paychecks, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think for I think for the Lakers, like it, it's it's a pretty good, like I guess vibe between Vogel and LeBron. Like I think there's something mutual happening there, because you know, the way LeBron is able to step up and and do what he wants and on the court, like I think that that has to be Frank Vogel letting LeBron just do his thing, like just go out there and win the game. And, and do your thing. I, I, that's how I'm seeing it. But like yeah. I said, I have zero information on, on yeah. the inner workings of that team. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, we'll we'll be watching. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if the Lakers can uh, pull it off. It'll be interesting to see if. Um, I mean, I know you're not a Dodgers fan, but since we're in LA, Dodgers and that'd be kind of fun. Dodgers, Lakers. Um, see how they do. Okay, I gotta say, I gotta say, I am an Angels fan. But they, over the past five years, have given me zero reasons to have any belief in them. So come play, come October or any any playoff time, I am I am in full support of the Dodgers. I mm. I mean I just know the Angels aren't going to make it to the playoffs. I mean they technically are still in it this year. Like they still have a chance of making it to the playoffs. Right. But we all know that's not going to happen because they're just garbage at baseball. <laughs> but but you have unfortunately, the- if you're a team in the MLB. You have the best player in major leagues. You have Anthony Rendon, who basically won us our championship. Like, yeah, I, it's it's sad. I, I wish I win half your games with that roster. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. So who knows? Maybe twenty twenty over the year of LA, um, or it could be LA's biggest heartbreak. Who knows? I mean, <laughs> the Rams are fantastic. The Lakers are Rams fantastic. look good. And the Dodgers Rams are the best team in the league. Like that's a recipe. And right now, it's as good as you, as good as it can get. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it'll either end really well or end terribly. <laughs> really, honestly, yeah. I mean, the Clippers already. You know, they kind of just <laughs> they kind of ruined it already. For I mean, I don't. I don't know. Maybe people don't really care about the Clippers, but I mean. You know. I, I think honestly, if you were to ask LA if they would rather see the Lakers or the Clippers in the finals, since it can only be one of them, I don't think you'd get very many, very many responses. For right, the right. No, I would agree. It would have been cool to see Clippers Lakers mm-hmm. in the finals if they did. That would have like been that. fun. Yeah, but I mean, the Clippers don't deserve that. They they lost. So yeah, playoff P was in full effect. Yeah, playoff P. Playoff P. Oh my gosh, <laughs> stupidest thing. <laughs> You you cannot name yourself Playoff Pete and then be <laughs> that bad in the play. I mean, you are Playoff Pete. That is Playoff Pete. You are terrible in the playoffs. Like, that's true. I guess that is very accurate and <laughs> very yeah. self-aware of him. But, oh, my goodness. Anyway. Um, yeah. So, yeah, best of luck to the LA teams. Yes, um, best of luck. I guess I will be – I don't know if I can say rooting, but – on behalf of my wife, I will be <laughs> sympathetic towards the LA teams this year. Well, you have to be because no Washington team is making it to the. No, yeah, we're not. Uh, Capitals <laughs> out. I think Nationals are like one of the worst teams in baseball. <laughs> the professional football team <laughs> will not be that good. So, gotta hitch my wagon somewhere. Um, so, thanks to Shane for joining us. Uh, best of luck to you as you juggle full time job, grad school, and writing this book. Yes. Uh, thanks for taking the time. 
Oh, of course. I've been looking forward to this since you told me about it. I'm super, I'm super happy to be here, honestly. Yeah, and uh, if we have a second iteration, we'll definitely get you back on when your book is closer to being published. Uh, we'll do a follow-up. Um, so, yeah, thank you all for listening. You can find this podcast uh, on uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. And again, just stay in, in touch for any updates. Uh, talk to Jeremy. You can reach out to myself, and we'll have some updates, hopefully, uh, for you soon. Um, the best place for updates really is, besides testing Jeremy, is um, the website lwfsda.org. Uh, we'll be putting up uh, podcast updates uh, on the website. Uh, thanks for joining. Have a great week, everyone. Bye. Bye.